Hi, I'm James Verdeer, and welcome to the American Institute of Biological Sciences Bioscience Talks, which is a forum for integrating the life sciences. On the second Wednesday of each month, and sometimes in between, we discuss the latest bioscience publications. And as a reminder, if you'd like to read more, point your browser to academic.oup.com forward slash bioscience. For today's episode, we have a very special guest. I recently interviewed Dr. Joanne Torno, the Assistant Director of Biological Sciences at the National Science Foundation. We talked about some of the NSF's ongoing programs and priorities, as well as her plans for the directorate over the next few years. For those of you who'd like to read along, a transcript of this episode will also be appearing in Bioscience. So please check the show notes for a link. And with no further ado, let's go to the interview. Dr. Torno, thank you very much for joining me today. I'm happy to be here. In looking over um, interviews with your predecessors, I noticed that uh, genotype to phenotype recurred as a theme, um, and that's now been encompassed in the NSF's 10 big ideas, in particular understanding the rules of life. Of course, we'd love an update on that theme, but are there any other big ideas that speak to you in particular? So, yes, you absolutely found the key big idea for bio, understanding the rules of life. And it is absolutely true that the genome to phenome concept is um, a long-lived grand challenge question in the biological sciences. But uh, we are um, in uh, bio, in biology, uh, engaged in a number of the other big ideas here at NSF. And I think probably the one that uh, speaks to us very strongly uh, which it does really across the foundation, is harnessing the data revolution. We are uh, uh, very interested in taking advantage of that opportunity for uh, thinking about how we can uh, engage, uh, develop the data science that we need to allow us to uh, really grapple with the big data sets and the heterogeneous data sets, particularly that we generate in the biological sciences, that are going to open up new understandings of the uh, biological phenomena uh, that are, in, are associated with those data. Uh, we, with just within, so that within bio, we also are investing in a, in a variety of ways for uh, developing uh, biological databases and different tools that allow us to construct and operate and use those databases. But the harnessing the data revolution big idea is really something that's going to um, uh, provide that those big leaps, I think, in understanding for the underlying data science that's going to advance all of the areas of science here at uh, NSF, including biological science. Okay, that brings me to something that I wasn't going to ask about until later, but I, I guess now is a, a great moment. So I was going to ask a little bit about data publication. And, you know, there's been a while now that the data management plan has been a required part of proposals. And I'm just wondering, you know, is there anything uh, either in place or soon to be in place uh, that will perhaps look at expanding that out and, uh, you know, requiring that data be uh, recorded or deposited in a repository of some sort. Is that something we should be looking at on the horizon? So I think that the open data, open access questions have been um, uh, under discussion for quite some time, as you rightly point out. The data management plan at NSF is uh, the major way in which we are ensuring that our PIs are thinking about uh, the uh, data that they generate and how they're making it accessible. Uh, I don't see a um, near-term change in the way that NSF is thinking about the data management plans, uh, but certainly NSF on the broader scale is engaged in these conversations which are cross-government and really international in scope in thinking about open access and uh, uh, you know, making our data publicly available. We have been uh, active, uh, the agency has been active in cross-government discussions about public access um, and has 
we did modify the way in which our uh, final reporting um, that we expect from our PIs is managed digitally in our uh, in our systems to allow us to uh, link to those publications and to ensure that we are capturing the other kinds of outcomes that come from the research that we support, including uh, data uh, as well as the publications. But in the short term, I don't think that our data management plans to get to your first question, I don't think our data management plans uh, in the big picture are going to be uh, changing significantly. It, it is an important part. I do want to stress that it's an important part of the application. We do take seriously our responsibility to uh, ensure that the data that emerges from the research at work becomes available to the public and to other researchers to use. Okay. And so that'll be something that will periodically be revisited down the line, I assume. Absolutely. I mean, and it is an iterative process. I think that as long as we are uh, we're in this um, this environment where we are where there is an interest in increasing the accessibility to this information that we are always looking at our processes to ensure that uh, you know if there's things that we can improve that we can do that. And I guess I'll go ahead and ask my other publications type of question. Um, so this is something that we're obviously very highly attuned to at Bioscience, but um, the you know the growing din in favor of open access and requiring open access and publication in open access journals. Mm -hmm. uh, recently, Coalition S had an announcement that you know, work funded by 12 European countries will have to be published in fully open access journals. Um, I'm assuming that NSF has no similar plans at the moment, um, but you know, is there anything in the works to possibly update the current requirements, which if I, if I understand correctly, is that a final accepted version of manuscripts has to be placed in a repository, but not necessarily the version of record? Uh, that's correct. You're, the way you've just described it is correct. And I think that there are conversations across uh, government through the uh, National Science and Technology Council for thinking about these issues that would be, um, that where NSF is taking part in those conversations. But uh, yes, I, you're, the, right now NSF is, is um, interested and uh, we're engaged in these conversations and understanding what is happening with Plan S over in Europe and then how this is going to influence uh, what we do in the U.S. It, you know, it is a global enterprise as you think about research. And so uh, we're not uh, entirely disconnected from what, you know, what happens in uh, overseas because we are all publishing in similar journals. Yeah, I wonder if you heard any, uh, you know, discussion from the community uh, about how they intend to respond to Plan S. Um, and, you know, will that affect any of their proposals or is it so far a wait and see or a limited scope issue? Well, pretty much the only thing that I'm currently hearing is that there's a cost to doing that. And so there is an interest in understanding whether or not those costs can be incorporated into the proposals that they submit to NSF. And certainly any cost that's appropriate associated with the research that they're proposing can and should be included in their proposals that they sent to the agency. So I think right now that's really where the main conversation that I'm hearing is if we need to do this, who's going to be paying for it? So kind of moving back to, you know, the nation's science infrastructure, uh, there's been a lot of talk about NEON lately and, and other programs of similar size and scope. And I was wondering, you know, how do you view the NSF's role and particularly the biology directorate in 
developing and maintaining you know the nation's science infrastructure um, and I ask that in large part because the scope of projects you know enabled by technology and enabled by big data seems to be growing uh, so we're looking at things at scales that previously were not possible what's the role of the agency and the directorate in supporting those types of projects great question uh, so supporting the research infrastructure has always been a key part of NSF's mission has always been a priority for uh, the Biological Sciences Directorate, uh, they go hand in hand from my perspective. The research, uh, the fundamental research projects that we support, um, as they increasingly rely on different kinds of uh, technology and infrastructure, it, it is our responsibility to also be thinking carefully and strategically about the way we invest in building those um, uh, resources as well. And in fact, in bio, we have a division, a division of biological infrastructure, which is where we really think about what are the key kinds of infrastructure that we need to support both research resources and human resources that are going to enable the uh, fundamental research advances that we support uh, with the you know throughout the core programs and special solicitations in bio so the nature of the infrastructure is changing that's absolutely true uh, so uh, you mentioned neon that's a very large infrastructure that we supported in bio uh, NSF-wide, there are other kinds of large infrastructure projects like that, or infrastructure investments like that, that are really essential for advancing particular areas of research. Uh, we also, um, very recently at NSF, have issued new solicitations for mid-scale infrastructure. So that's sort of hitting that space, really, when in talking about mid-scale, it's not the actual size, but it's the cost that we're talking about. The things that are more expensive than our um, MRI program, which, of course, the acronym has completely slipped my mind from what it stands for, and, uh, the, and then the very large uh, construction of, of uh, facilities like NEON, like the telescopes, like our uh, ships and research vessels. Uh, and I fully expect that we will see proposals coming into those mid-scale uh, solicitations that are uh, targeted towards advancing particular areas of biological science. Uh, I think that there's uh, that development of new technology and supporting that infrastructure is critically important for um, um, for being able to uh, catalyze and stimulate new advances and potentially new areas of uh, research in the biological sciences. So the real question is how do you balance uh, within uh, your, the uh, uh, portfolio that you have, the investments that you make in the research projects and the investments that you make in infrastructure, hopefully hitting that sweet spot so that uh, you're able to advance both. And where do you envision that sweet spot as being? You know, is that something that's along the same lines as what we've seen historically, or do you see a larger role for infrastructure going forward? It's just a question of where that sweet spot may lie. Right. Uh, so I think that it. Uh, I think we're going. It's going to. It's going to vary over time. I actually think that right now, in bio, we're in a pretty good place. Um, we, I we are really need to give a little time to see how um, our foray into large infrastructure via NEON, uh, um, how we do that critical transition into operations and have it become um, sort of mature and stable and embedded in the field of ecosystem science as a, a critical but, but 
you know, integral part of the way that research is done in that field um, as we think about the other kinds of infrastructure we might invest in. Uh, which is not to say that we're not currently investing in infrastructure. We have had, uh, we we have invested in uh, centers, and I know that you um, had an interest in our synthesis centers, uh, which which we've also have investments in the uh, like cyber infrastructure centers. So, for example, Cyverse is a major investment that um, is infrastructure that started supporting plant genomics and has has expanded now so that it supports across the um, areas of biological science. We've had long-time investment in the Protein Data Bank, along with partners at NIH uh, and elsewhere. Um, and that is a very important infrastructure for bio biophysics and uh, protein structure and function areas of research within the biological sciences. So, for example, those are... Uh, so, I think that uh, and we also, I just want to mention, have just invested in technology development to, to advance the neurosciences. So I think that a big question that we ask and that we're always asking ourselves is the, uh, it, you know, there's a trade-off, right? The investment that goes into building the infrastructure, um, how is that um, value add to the research uh, opportunities that we have, ensuring that we ha are able to then provide the uh, research opportunities, the support for the research opportunities that will then take advantage of that infrastructure. So I, right now, I think that bio is in a pretty good place, um, but I think that there's uh, always the opportunity to see what the community is looking for um, as it comes in through the regular proposals and now through this mid-scale research opportunity. So it sounds like listening to the community on that will be a large part of you know maintaining that proper balance going forward. Absolutely. Um, and, and speaking of the community and getting back to NEON in particular, we're, I've heard a little bit of grumbling uh, from some members of the ecological science community about NEONs being contracted to be run by a private en entity, Battelle Memorial. Um, and, and some in the ecological community felt as though uh, they were not necessarily uh, you know, being consulted in, in quite the way that they had wished. Is the plan for ecological science to take a you know, perhaps larger role at the table in the implementation of NEON going forward? So that is uh, really an excellent question and a conversation that we have been engaged in for quite some time. Um, uh, as I, had, I came back to bio in the role of acting AD last year and I'm now the, uh, as you know, formally the AD. And this conversation, this, this conversation with the community is a critical one. And it is one that uh, we have uh, really been uh, focusing on um, having as a in a very in as productive a way as we possibly can. So let me tell you some of the ways in which we are doing that. Um, I think that one of the things that so one of the things I want to say up front is that in the process of building Neon, there was a lot of engagement with the community very early on in thinking about the scope of the observatory and what were the kinds of data that would need to be collected to address a variety of different kinds of questions. Um, over the uh, lifetime, if you will, of the construction, which you also know there were, um, it was a long and sort of complex process to get NEON built. Uh, there's a time at which the, the, it was necessary to focus on the construction with the plan that we had, um, and that there wasn't really opportunities to do a lot of uh, fine tuning of the kinds of, of uh, sensors and um, other kinds of 
uh, data collection that we were envisioning for the observatory. We are now completed with construction and we are moving into operations. And he, we are now at this wonderful place where we can start to understand how these data are informing um, new kinds of research questions that can be asked. Um, and there's a couple of different ways in which we're going to rely on the community to give us the feedback on uh, NEON and whether or not it's actually uh, going to live up to the promise that we uh, hoped for when it was originally conceived and now constructed. Uh, there is an advisory committee that is um, uh, has been is convened by Patel, which is the managing organ, um, and they are uh, members of the community and they provide uh, advice and uh, have conversations with uh, Patel um, uh, as we now move into operations. I think that there's going to be opportunities for uh, using that group to have good um, inputs with uh, Patel and with Neon and with NSF. Uh, there's also, uh, from uh, the NSF perspective, I have uh, initiated the um, um, creation of an advisory, of a subcommittee under our advisory committee, which will provide advice to BIO through our advisory committee mechanism on uh, best practices that have been used by other facilities to stimulate the creation of user groups in the community. And this is a way, these, are, these user groups are ways to ensure a two-way communication between the people who are actually using the facility, but sort of in a more um, uh, way that, that they can actually help to prioritize what the either issues or concerns or hopefully kudos to the, about how the facility is working um, and will be able to work independently and they can provide uh, constructive criticism and advice to the managing organization and to the funding agency about the facility and the ways in which it can be funded. Uh, so I think that that is going to be one of the uh, main ways in which we hope to really have that robust conversation with the community about the use of NEON and what it will look like going forward. I can also tell you that within BIO, we have, of course, uh, in the Division of Biological Infrastructure is where our, uh, we um, manage the operations of the facility and within our division of environmental biology is where we support research to the ecosystem scientists and um, we and we have our program that is um, explicitly um, asking for proposals using neon data macrosystems biology and neon science and we are treating um, those two divisions um, as for this purpose as a, a cross division activity so we've, we we within bio are taking the approach that the operations and um, enable the science and the science informs the operations and those two are inextricably linked and need to be both in the way we manage the opportunities for the community um, um, and, and all the, also the way in which we oversee the activity. So it sounds in a sense like at one point the priority was to simply complete the build out. And now with operations coming underway, there's a growing role for community involvement through a number of mechanisms. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I was hoping to ask a couple of more questions about um, community involvement, mm-hmm. um, and, and then I would hope to move on to some other topics as well. Toward the end of last year, there was a little bit of concern over a policy that was limiting principal investigators to one proposal to a core program per year. Uh, that policy was was quickly amended, um, and, and in fact amended while we had an editorial on the topic in press. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm curious about, you know, the um, the the workload concerns that were originally cited as the basis for that policy. And I, I'm kind of wondering, you know, um, how is a directorate adjusted to address those? Yeah, great question. And uh, I, I'm interested, I found that funny that you were working on an editorial because I do know that we did generate quite a reaction in the community uh, by with the limits that we had put on the proposal submission. And um, it really was a... Uh, very active uh, conversation with members of the community where we quickly saw that um, there was, uh, this was an opportunity for us to um, take a step back and allow the experiment to run for no deadlines. Uh, we they, There were workload concerns, but as it has turned out now that we're six months into the fiscal year, the number of proposals that we've received is uh, less than uh, what we have received in the past, which is in line with what other organizations at NSF have observed when moving to a no deadline uh, kind of uh, structure. Um, so we are moving, We as as we get enough proposals in to have a critical mass, we're having, uh, they're getting reviewed and we're making decisions. And so we are moving along and it's a, it has really evened out the workload within the directorate. Oh, uh, we don't, we don't have the same spikes and, peaks and valleys in proposal submission that we did prior. Um, But one of the things that we also have done, and again, this gets to community engagement and the conversation that we can have with interested members of the community prior to um, issuing a different policy or making any modifications, is again, we're using our advisory committee to establish a subcommittee of folks from the community who particularly were interested and communicated with me last fall about the policy to help us think about the metrics that we ought to be looking at uh, for um, uh, uh, determining whether or not we need to make any adjustments in the policies that we have about proposal submission. So a couple of the key things that folks were most concerned about uh, uh, last year uh, were about any if impacts on collaborations, whether or not limits would uh, stifle uh, potential collaborations between uh, folks from different parts of uh, biology, for example, which is something that we're actually quite interested in uh, uh, actually supporting and catalyzing. So we certainly didn't want that to happen either. And there's also concerns about whether or not limits on proposal submissions would have negative impacts on beginning investigators, folks who were in early in their And so we have brought together a group of folks who are going to be helping us, first of all, to make sure we're all using all the same same definitions for those terms. What do we mean when we talk about collaborations and what do we want to be looking at in terms of the uh, balance in the portfolio? Uh, And then we will be talking about it with our advisory committee. What does it look like? What what, What does our portfolio look like? Has there been any significant changes in the kinds of proposals we're getting? in the demographics of the PIs or universities that are submitting, um, which would allow us to then think about, do we need to make any adjustments going forward? 
So no planned adjustments at this point, but a plan to you know revisit and to continue to examine the the issue going forward. Exactly. We need to let we need to let this run for a little bit. It's only been six months, and I think that it also I personally don't think it's a great idea if we um, uh, issue a policy, change a policy, issue a new policy. <laughs> it's a little bit hard for the community to keep up. So, and that's certainly not the way we want to. Uh, that's certainly not. I don't think that that's the uh, strongest way that we can interact with the community when uh, so that they can plan and think about the kinds of proposals they want to submit to us. So those are who are planning proposals to submit at the moment um, can can take a deep breath and and know that there's nothing immediately in the offing. Absolutely. And then submit that, and then they should go ahead and submit that proposal. Yeah, and and you noted that there are are fewer proposals coming through um, in the absence of yeah. a deadline. That's correct. It, does it also even out the work uh, the workload for your staff? Uh, yes, it does. So we've but we've seen for the proposals that are coming into the core programs that it's a fairly even um, uh, submission. You know, we don't have this. The we were sort of expecting that there would be a little bit of a a spike in proposals being submitted after the holidays when there's sort of a break in semesters and people have a time to write. Uh, but it has been a pretty even uh, submission. Every, every, you know, the numbers that come in week to week don't really change that much. And so, um, and so that means that our work also is kind of moving along in the same way. Uh, there are other, we're not completely, no deadlines. We have we have solicitations within the directorate, and of course there are solicitations that we participate in that are NSF-wide that do have deadlines. And so, um, but it, I think that there is um, allowing a little bit better time management within NSF uh, for being able to think about both of the proposals that are coming into our core programs as well as the things that are coming in for these. And while we're talking about staff and, and workforce issues, um, I noticed that one of your previous roles was uh, Chief Human Capital Officer. And I was wondering now about the priorities of the directorate in you know, bringing in new STEM talent, uh, both to NSF and also supporting those who are you know, working broadly out in the field. Yeah, so yeah, I was the Chief Human Capital Officer for NSF and it was actually a fascinating um, opportunity for me to think more broadly about the way that we uh, both support the goals of the agency um, and then think about how that, as we think internally, how that translates into the activities that we do externally for the community. Uh, I think that within the experience that I gained from that role for the agency, uh, I bring to my work here in bio in the context of uh, really wanting to ensure that we have a strong workforce, which we do. Uh, I think that um, I came into a very high-functioning organization uh, with strong um, members of the staff, uh, but I uh, but I feel very strongly that thinking about how to um, ensure that we have strong communication within the directorate so that uh, the staff also know how we're thinking about uh, how we want to proceed there so that there's really not a lot of surprises. It's been a very um, sort of stressful year for folks at the foundation between uh, uh, things that have gone on with uh, budget discussions and, and then we have had some of the um, uh, changes that we made in the proposal submission policy that it's, it's just really important to make sure that we have uh, on communications, internal communications, and two-way communications, because 
staff often have the best ideas for how we should proceed um, in addressing any concerns from the community. Um, as we think about how that translates into a skilled workforce and out externally, of course, that has been something that is a priority for the foundation. It's a very high priority for the director of NSF, and it's something that uh, BIO has also cared about for quite some time. Uh, there, it, we have participated, you know, we have, our, we have uh, a few of our own programs, but we participate uh, strongly in the NSF-wide programs uh, for um, uh, thinking about the, um, for example, for advance or includes. Uh, and I think that some of the things that we're doing in bio, really thinking about the um, mid-career scientists and opportunities for uh, reskilling and upskilling. So there's a couple of things that I'll just share with you that I think are particularly um, unique for bio right now. Uh, we do have an opportunity in one of our solicitations in the Division of Environmental Biology that um, allows opportunities for mid-career scientists who have, um, who are either trying to make a change or try or have had a break, if you will, in their career to get back in. Um, and I and that came from a conversation with our advisory committee from the community that this is an opportunity that's lacking currently. So we're, we. We've gotten some positive feedback on that. We're going to see how that goes and whether or not that's something that we may want to expand more broadly throughout the directorate. Um, we also have a, um, participate strongly in the research experience for undergraduates program. I think for bio, in particular, biology is something that is, uh, you know, attracts a lot of students. We, we don't typically have um, the same sort of uh, need to think about um, the gender balance of students who are engaged in biology in the early uh, years in the you know, K to 12 and undergraduate, even graduate school. Um, it's really more as you get into the later stages in um, a person's career that we do see this um, a sort of disparity in the gender balance. We've, we've always had a underrepresentation of minorities in uh, the participation in, in biology. In uh, some ways, uh, that's true across the STEM fields. And so we are participating in the INCLUDES program, uh, which is an NSF-wide program, because that also provides an opportunity for us to be thinking about how we can um, address that need um, in the external community and in the STEM workforce. And just out of curiosity, is the program you described in which, um, you know, uh, scientists are, are asked to rejoin their STEM careers, um, you know, after perhaps a, a, some time doing something else, uh, is that particularly geared toward uh, addressing gender disparity, or is that just is that a broad program that's you know available to any who might be interested? Um, it's a broad program. However, um, it was stimulated by the observation that it's a particular need. I think for women. So we have an opportunity, but it is open to all. And, uh, but I think that we may find that this is something that it would be more, that will be valuable to women who are uh, mid-career and for various reasons are looking to um, look for those new opportunities in, in, in mid-career, either making a career shift or rejoining after taking a break. Okay. 
And uh, and one last question on students in particular. Uh, is there any chance that we'll see a return of dissertation improvement grants, or are those gone forever? Well, nothing is forever, right? <laughs> but we don't have any. We do not have any plans to bring the uh, dissertation, doctoral dissertation improvement grants back. There really was a um, the thinking about the um, in time investment, the workload um, for the return on these uh, activities. So they were they were a very small uh, part of our budget and they were taking up about 25% of the time in order to uh, process them and review them and uh, send them out. So, and it really was not sustainable for, and this was primarily in the Division of Environmental Biology, really was not sustainable in the, 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 the iterate, in the, you know, sort of instantiation that we had. Uh, I'll note that these did not support the student's entire dissertation. It was for um, either a side project or a final chapter. And really the majority of our support that we provide to students is through the regular grants that we provide. Um, but I, and so the last thing I'll note when I say that, you know, sort of uh, that the program itself, we, are, we have no plans to reestablish that program. There's nothing that stops a PI from submitting a proposal for their student to bio. Nothing at all. We have no deadlines. There, there's, they can submit anything to the core programs. If there is an interest in having um, the kind of support that they would be looking for under the previous program, there are ways to get that without necessarily us re-establishing the doctoral dissertation improvement grant program. Thank you. And I think people will be glad to hear that that avenue is open. Uh, before we close out, I was hoping we could talk just a little bit about the current budget environment. You know, and this is a forward-looking question and also a backward-looking question. Uh, how have things been going and what's the outlook look like for the future? So actually, um, sometimes what gets lost is what our final budget is. When we think about all of what's going on in the budget environment, and for the last couple of years, NSF has been has received nice increases. And of course, in fiscal 19, we're over $8 billion for the agency for the first time in our history. And so there have been increases to our budget that we are very um, happy about and that we have been able to um, use to advance the uh, larger priorities of the agency, administrative priorities, um, the uh, congressional priorities, and as well as things that have come in from the community. So there's, there's actually been a lot of opportunity in the last two years to uh, advance, to you know, take advantage of the funding that we have received um, in, uh, through the uh, appropriations in the last couple of years. I think probably the uh, challenges uh, that we have is that uh, there is a lot of uncertainty that is associated with this whole process, right? There's a, the, uh, the request is often quite different from what we receive in the appropriations. The timing um, is uh, delayed. And so that does make planning a little bit more complicated. We're trying to, within the directorate, reduce the uncertainty around budgets with respect to, uh, for the uh, program officers. So putting the uncertainty in the, um, in my office and putting uncertainty in the sort of the things that we would use to leverage or to, um, to plus up, if you will, for certain activities, but protect the core programs and fund them first, you know, when we have the uncertainty, and then any additional resources that we get, those go into other kind of special activities. 
And that's the way we've been trying to address it in this last year or two when, when the timing of decisions around the budget are not clear. Okay, great. And just the last couple of questions. Um, the first one being, uh, do you have any particular priority areas that you know you haven't already discussed, um, or that you'd like to mention again that you'll be emphasizing during your tenure? So one of the things that we haven't talked a, a, uh, about really is around the is around sort of some op- what we're doing in terms of um, supporting opportunities and convergence and. Um, so we have, with, so within bio, the priorities are fairly straightforward, right? We are interested in supporting fundamental research that is the lifeblood of the biological sciences and that really feed and stimulate the other bigger solicitations, including the big ideas, including understanding the rules of life as we go forward. We're really interested in, we've talked a lot about infrastructure, so that is a key priority within bio. And um, what we do want to talk about is how we think about advancing opportunities for convergence. And that is something that is, I think, uh, a key feature of the big ideas, but uh, it's been something that has been uh, part of the bio DNA, if I may (laughs) use that pun, uh, for a long time, right? There, we have have successfully worked with uh, partnering with uh, the our other directorates, the other major disciplines, if you will, sort of vertical kind of integration across the disciplines. We have a lot of uh, collaborative activities with our colleagues in the math and physical sciences, with our colleagues in the geosciences and social behavioral and economic sciences and engineering, really across the whole spectrum at NSF. Um, one of the things that we are looking um, to do a little bit more explicitly is to also think about how we can converge horizontally across the subdisciplines of biology. There are really um, exciting big questions in biology that will benefit both by the convergence vertically and a convergence horizontally. Uh, We did put out a call to the community, a um, a request for information for ideas that really fit that kind of description. What are some things that uh, would really, um, that advances would be uh, enhanced if there was uh, some coming together of some of the subdisciplines across biology. Uh, we're thinking, we're, we're sort of talking about them as integration institutes as a way to, to think about supporting the advances in those areas. Um, so, but I, so I really do think that that's something that we're going to be focusing on and investing in. We've been doing it already. Um, because it are, there are things that come in from the community. Uh, we see that there's a lot of, uh, there's a movement towards collaborative research. Uh, but we also know that, that there is, um, uh, there's just a natural uh, move towards specialization. And uh, even, as the, even as we're investing in technology that allows deeper dives into particular areas of science, uh, we want to also look at the ways that we can uh, facilitate the coming to back together. I, I think that that is going to offer some really exciting opportunities for advances in the biological sciences and could give us the opportunity to uh, really sort of lay out an agenda of uh, questions, fundamental questions that will really advance our understanding of uh, um, 
living systems that will be of interest to the other disciplines as well. I, I think that's a that's an excellent answer, and that may partly inform uh, your answer to my to my last question, which is uh, I'd like to close with the same final question that bioscience asked your predecessor, uh, and that's about you know legacy and how you hope that your tenure at the directorate will be remembered, uh, you know, sometime down the road. So you know, any thoughts along those lines would be something that I'm sure our listeners and readers would be interested in. So. I really hope that um, that we do have this opportunity to um, advance the knowledge of these really deep questions in biology to create this opportunity for convergence across uh, the subdisciplines in biology without losing the um, identity in those various areas because there's some really fascinating questions that you can see in all of those areas. Uh, and and I do hope that I leave bio a better place than when I came in. Dr. Torno, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for the opportunity to talk with you. I really enjoyed it. And that concludes this episode of Bioscience Talks. Just a reminder, the journal Bioscience is published by Oxford University Press on behalf of the American Institute of Biological Sciences. And it's made possible by the support of our members and donors. Thank you and talk to you next time.